you have to imagine crazy things in order to take the next steps. It all begins with imagination. Welcome to What the If. This is Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, here with Professor Matthew Stanley of the British Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> Briefly, anyway. Yeah. Briefly. So I, I will put a link up on our website. Tell us you were just on the BBC on a wonderful science story. Yeah, the BBC has a wonderful program called Science Stories. And I've chatted with them a couple of times and most recently about the 1919 eclipse expeditions that made Einstein famous. I had a nice conversation with them. They're good folks. Yeah, uh, it's a great story. Uh, well, like I said, I'll put a link on there and you should check it out if, or just go to BBC, BBC Science Stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can see it there. In fact, you can subscribe to that also as a podcast, by the way. So you can listen to all their stuff. As I've said many times, for me, the BBC, BBC in general is fantastic, but the BBC science programs going, you know, listen to my whole life and both television and radio are just fabulous. Yeah, right back to the early days of the BBC. They were doing top-notch science broadcasting in the 1920s. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's cool. I have to go check out one of those. And, you know, I, I think that American both American radio has certainly gotten better over the years. And now with podcasting, there's a wealth of stuff out there. But for instance, uh, NPR was always good, but it was a very lonely outpost <laughs> of American uh, quality science. I, I shouldn't say it. there have been on the networks. Anyway, it, it, there have been things, but it, it comes and goes in terms of quality. It, what amazes me is the level of intelligence the intelligence level that they speak of, that they speak at. Uh, what yes, do you call it? The, right. You know, the words they use, the yeah, concepts they, they discuss. Right. Yeah, it's like fantastic. And, and that has always been an inspiration for me to just, from my point of view, it's always like speak just above, like I love listening to something that's just above <laughs> my level of understanding. And just a little challenging. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really great. This week, speaking of challenging and speaking of intelligent, intelligent of the audience, we have a wonderful suggestion from a wonderful listener, Jeff from Nashville, Tennessee, one of my favorite places. Woot. Talk about giving great. Now, there's a place where Nashville, this is a place where America does give something great to the world. Jeff, here's Jeff wrote in to feedback at whatif.com, by the way. Actually, I think he, he just went to the website. You can go to the website, whatif.com, and click on contact. And that's what he did. And, and here's, uh, here's Jeff's cable from Nashville. His telegram, he writes, Hey, guys, I just found your podcast on Overcast. Overcast is a podcast app, podcatcher. Oh, it's, it's okay. actually... I believe second to the Apple podcast app that Apple makes. It's it's the most popular, and uh, I use that. That's also a shout out to Overcast, Marco Arment. It, it's an amazing program, and it's one of the few that allows you to actually you can publicize your podcast on the app. and And uh, what the if has been doing that for a long time. So we have a lot of fans coming to us from Overcast. Subscribing, cool. I recommend subscribe. Back to Jeff's letter from Nashville. Hey, and, I am really resisting doing any kind of Southern accent. Yeah, that's for the best. It's just, you really want to. I grew up in Maryland, so we kind of have a, like a weird, phony, fake one. But anyway, I'll keep it straight. Yeah, it's not going to end well. Yeah, yeah, we'll have Jeff do like a, we'll start having our guests do like voice calls. Oh, that's not a bad idea. You're the real people. All right, here we go. Hey, guys, I just found your podcast on Overcast. To be totally candid, I am not well-versed in science. My last real experience with science was a 100-level collegiate 
biology class I took 13 years ago, I got a B minus, which should tell you everything you need to know about my scientific aptitude. Although <laughs> B minus is... I have no objections to B minuses. You know, I'm, I got some B minuses in my day. But again, <laughs> that should tell you something about my scientific aptitude as well. Uh, by the way, I'm listening from Nashville, Tennessee, and the weather here is about 60 degrees and rainy. Thanks, and keep up the great work. And here's his suggestion. I, I listened to your two-part series on simulation theory. Yeah, that's a great episode. What, go to whatif.com, find the one on simulation theory. We talked about Elon Musk there. He was pushing that idea for a little while. Jeff says, I listened to your two-part series on simulation theory, and I thought it was fantastic. Well, thank you. I appreciate that you both can take a complicated subject and simplify it for the rest of us. I plan on working my way through your catalog. Well, that's one. Nice. That's quite it's a good number to know of that we have a catalog. Yeah. yeah, we have a catalog like the Sears catalog. Um, I don't know if we'll last as long as Sears, but we'll see. Have you guys ever done a podcast on parallel universes? Would there even, I like this question, would there even be enough actual science with which to explore this? I'd be interested ah, so to hear question. about this. Yeah. Cheers from Nashville. I mentioned that to you, Matt, and you said, oh, yes, there's a lot of science there. There is. It is, of course, theoretical science, because as far as I know, no one has made any journeys to parallel universes. Not that people haven't claimed to have done so. Yeah, I'm sure there's somebody in Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn. <laughs> Brooklyn itself, by the way, a parallel universe. It's an artisanal, artisanal universe. Artisanal universe. Small and well, crafted. Actually, that's a that's a thing. <laughs> One of the things we need to to ponder first is that parallel universe is a kind of umbrella term, right? There's a bunch of different things that kind of fall under that uh, that label. When we say parallel universe, we usually mean a universe that's like ours, but not quite the same. Like ours, but not quite the same. So what the if there were universes that were like ours, but not quite the same? Not quite the same. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it's totally different, it's a universe with no matter, that's not very parallel. Right. Oh, interesting. Right. Of course. We want we want we want universes that are enough like ours to be interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Okay. So there's a helpful distinction between just multiple universes, which is an idea as well. This fits in within the multiple universes, I right. guess. But yeah. but when you say parallel universes, it's true that probably what people mean and when they think about it is they're very interested in yeah, like almost a mirror universe. Exactly right. So I think the the classic here is the original Star Trek episode, Mirror Mirror, oh. where Captain Kirk gets gets trapped in a parallel universe thanks to a transporter accident, and you immediately know it's not our universe because Spock has a beard, a goatee, I believe. Yep, that's right. Yeah, which is the evil beard in Hollywood. You see, and this is as far as I know, this is the first. That episode is the origin of the beard makes you evil trope. Ah, okay. Yeah. I'm sure there's a website devoted to to that trope and, and its history, but as far as I know, that's it. So now, as soon as you see a character who isn't supposed to have a beard, but does have a beard, you instantly know that character is evil. Now, I will say, you know, you can go back to the earliest days of Hollywood and probably vaudeville and stage where the, the, the twirling mustache guy. Yes, that's right. Twirling mustache, yeah. Not evil, and this would also be true of Spock, but sort of shady, conniving. Yeah. Menacing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And actually, Star Trek Discovery, for those of you who have been watching it, last year also did a series of, of Mirror Universe episodes. One of the, uh, I should say, Star Trek Discovery does a great job with gender representation. So for the female characters, instead of a beard, they had their hair down, <laughs> not not tied up. Uh, so that's this, so, I guess that's the uh, the gender equivalence of the evil beard. So in the other universe, the military regulations are a little bit le for grooming 
are a little that's bit right. are just a little bit different. I think that's it. But but it's interesting that that hair is the way we we flag evil versus good. I must say, for my taste, if I could go to the long hair universe, that's the one I would choose. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw my hair, you'd understand why. So this notion of parallel universe in, in scientific terms usually goes back to some of the problems with quantum physics. Right. So one of the weird things that quantum physics does and has been realized since early on, like the 1920s, um, is that it can't predict anything exactly, but it can only predict things statistically. It can't say, it can't predict whether or not two electrons will, will meet, will smack into each other, but it can predict fantastically accurately whether or how many of a million electrons will whack into a million other electrons. Now, the average person is thinking, so what mm -hmm. with regard to these electrons? But I think one thing that might be clear is when we say can't predict, it isn't because, oh, it's just not good enough yet. Right. It's yep. it, absolutely forbidden. It seems to have a, a deep metaphysical commitment to the impossibility of precise prediction. Right. It says that there is absolutely no way for you to predict mm -hmm. how something will go. One way to think about this is, so take a pool table or billiards if you're so inclined, uh, and there's a particular arrangement of balls on the table. And I take one ball and I, I hit it with the cue. And if I'm using classical physics, sort of Newtonian physics, I can predict exactly where all those balls are going to go. And then if I set up exactly the same thing again, put all the balls in exactly the same places and hit the cue ball in exactly the same way, the balls will all go the same way again. So we call that a deterministic system where every time, uh, not only can I predict it, but every time I do it, it's going to be exactly the same. But if I use electrons instead of billiard balls, then quantum physics takes over. And not. Uh, and then two weird things happen. First, I can't predict exactly where the balls are going to go. But I can tell you that if I do it a million times, on average, this is where they're going to go. And then maybe even more unsettlingly, if I put all the electron balls in the same spot and run the whole experiment again, it's going to be slightly different. That is a different ball is going to go into the corner pocket. And after a large number of times doing this, I can predict how likely it is that ball is going to go into the corner pocket. But on each given setup, I don't know. Is this equivalent to flipping a coin? In, the, in, in a very broad sense. So flipping a coin, if you had a really good computer, you could actually predict. But it's a, it's a genuinely random thing. Well, actually, I guess that's, that's an important, important thing. That yeah. The idea is that, and, and Einstein believed, and, and I think the, the great hope of science was that if we, when you flip a coin, if we actually had them, you know, like they have those uh, motion capture student where an, an actor can wear a, a million right. dots. And yes. <laughs> as they move, the computer can record, you know, very, very, very subtle movements. And so if you had a sensitive enough device that could truly accurately measure everything about the movement of your thumb and the weight of the coin and the air movements, if that mm -hmm. plays All factor. the little details. If you had a, a computer that really could calculate every one of those, you absolutely could predict the, the outcome of the coin toss. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a mechanical thing. And mm -hmm. however, when you get down to the things that make up that quarter, the pieces of That's the right. atoms. Then, then it gets complicated. Then it gets impossible to, to It's predict. impossible. And not just because they're so small. Right. So this, as you uh, mentioned, Einstein hated this and lots of other physicists too. This idea that no matter how closely you study 
a subatomic system, you can't predict exactly how it's going to go. That seemed just unacceptable. Not only because it it sort of made science seem pointless, right? Like, what's the point if you can't predict things in the future? But also that it didn't seem like that's how the universe should be, right? The universe shouldn't be the kind of place where exactly repeating an experiment gives you a different result. Well, I like that, that there's, this, there's this balance of, of humility and hubris. Because yes, right. Einstein would say, you know, was he the one who said that, who was it who said one of the greatest mysteries of the universe is that we can understand it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, Einstein does talk in those terms. And yet here he's saying, how dare you tell me I can't figure everything right. out? You just, <laughs> you, in fact, he blames the experimenters, right? He says, you're not, you're, you're just not giving me enough data. There are some hidden variables. Yeah, yeah he hopes. So the, so the great problem by the middle of the 20th century is that quantum physics has this apparently totally unacceptable way of thinking about the nature of the universe, but at the same time is incredibly good empirically at statistically predicting what's going to be happening in the lab. So we can use things, we can use those statistical predictions to make things like your smartphone, so your Computer chips are quantum mechanical devices. So the fact that you can play Candy Crush on the subway is an indication that quantum physics works really well. A miracle. <laughs> but this metaphysical problem of what does it mean that the universe doesn't, is not consistent what does that mean? So one oh, sorry, of the, let, me, let me just take one step back. The, the, the yeah, electrons sure. with, the, with the candy crush, what we're saying there is, tell me if this is correct, that if, if uh, computers operate by electrons hitting switches, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we're saying is the iPhone is saying, okay, well, when, if, if you feel a thumbprint here, move that little candy to the left. And that depends on an electron hitting a switch. Yeah, electron moving in a particular way. Yeah. But we understand that you can't absolutely predict that the very next electron next to that switch will go through that switch when you want it to. But we do know if you send... Was it millions of electrons or something at that switch? Yeah. You can count on one going through. Yeah, so that's I think that's a good description of what we mean when we say quantum physics works really well, but at the same time implies that reality is statistical and random. There's so this guy named um, Hugh Everett, a physicist working in the 1940s, suggests another possibility. So what's the so the challenge is can we retain the numerical effectiveness of quantum mechanics while getting a more sensible view of reality? Everett says, what if it's not random where the electron goes, that the electron has a very specific place it's going to go, but there's a different universe for each place the electron might go? So if we're not sure if the electron is going to go left or right, there's one universe in which the electron will definitely go left and one universe in an electron will definitely go right. The problem is that we don't know which universe we're in, so it looks statistical to us, but the universe itself is still deterministic. <laughs> it seems like a hilariously huge cheat in a way, or sort of like, if I throw a ball uh, if i pitch a baseball in a game and the batter goes to swing i'm going to say that you know we know he's either going to hit it or he's not <laughs> but which whatever's the opposite of the thing let's say he hits it and he wins the game the losing team or the pitcher in particular <laughs> who just had someone hit a home run off his pitch uh, can say well there is another universe where it was a strike. Yeah, that is precisely it. 
Yeah, that is that is Everett's claim. So this is called the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. And essentially what it means is that whenever there's multiple possibilities for anything, there's a universe in which each of those possibilities comes true. So with the baseball metaphor, as you say, it's not just that there's one universe where one team wins and one universe where the other team wins, but every swing is a hit in one universe and a miss in another universe. And is it so complex that does that also mean that there's a universe for, in other words, for every, that ball could have gone in a wide variety of directions. Mm -hmm. So is there another universe where the ball went and, but just hit the top of the wall and didn't go over? Yeah, exactly. So it's not, it isn't even just uh, one universe with a hit and one universe with a miss. It's one universe with a grand slam, one universe with a pop fly, one with a ball, one with an out. Every possibility happens. And then it's not just, uh, you know, that's that interaction of the ball with the bat isn't the only thing going on. There's also the kid at concession stand who's trying to decide whether to get a hot dog or nachos. So there's some universe where she buys nachos and some universe where she buys a hot dog. Spawning universes. Mm -hmm. Every, every decision, every possible, every time there, there could be more than one outcome of a situation, all a new, new universe is spawned. What does this have to do with electrons? Nah, <laughs> good question. So quantum physics was developed for explaining the motion of small particles like electrons and protons, and it does that really, really well. The question then becomes, if I take, if I take a lot of electrons and protons and put them together, I get atoms. And if I take a lot of atoms and put them together, I get a cat. <laughs> so the, the question then becomes, does, if I have quantum physics, which describes the motion of those electrons very well, does quantum physics let me describe the cat as well? And there seems to be something where it, uh, I, I'm forgetting the exact term, but it kind of evens out, right? That yeah, we, we call this the, the correspondence principle, where there's there's sort of this limit where quantum physics stops being useful and then we have to go to use classical physics like we don't see the quantum effects in our world right. right but so that's that is one way to to think about it but the problem is that you're still made of electrons and protons so there's this important sense in which you are subject to quantum mechanics whether you like it or not That, oh, okay. It is it is a little bit like the butterfly effect. That exactly. If right. one electron went a slightly different way, most of the time that unusual movement will be canceled out by all the by, other sorry, electrons. by some other random movement. But it's possible it could switch something. Yeah. So exactly where this boundary of quantum and classical is is a live problem. We don't we don't know. So you can make, like quantum cryptography, for instance, is a way of extending quantum phenomena over hundreds of miles, right? I mean, the, the, the Chinese satellite did this in orbit. So we've been able to maintain quantum behavior over hundreds of miles, right? So this is entanglement you're talking about. Right, yeah, which is a particular kind of quantum behavior. But you can, so that so that suggests at least that the the quantum limit is a little bigger than we thought it was. And this is the essence behind the, the Schrodinger's cat thought experiment, is uh, what you try to do with Schrodinger's cat is, is tie a macroscopic object, the cat, to a quantum event, the, the decay of a radioactive atom, and thereby get macroscopic effects from a quantum event, which is itself uncertain. So then we end up with the cat being alive and dead at the same time. But Everett, but then Everett's many worlds interpretation says, no, it's not that the cat is alive and dead at the same time. It's that there's two universes, one in which the cat is alive, one in which the cat is dead. 
But until you open the box, you don't know which universe you happen to be in. So we talked about like electronic, the electronic devices, the Candy Crush thing is interesting, like sitting with an, an iPhone in your hand, like all electronic devices operate, you know, it's using, it has to use quantum mechanical, I guess, calcul- or it's an understanding. Quantum mechanical behavior. So it understands that it's all working by electrons flowing around these circuits. Mm-hmm. And when you want something to happen, you open a switch and some electrons will go through to the other place and turn on the red pixel. Yes. Or yeah. turn off the red you know, pixel or something mm-hmm. like that. Whichever way. Yeah. What the engineers of the iPhone are doing is they're saying, okay, I'm going to open this switch and I know that there's a one, it sounds like something like there's going to be a one in 10 trillion chance or something mm-hmm. that an electron is not going to go through and that would create a bug in my program. Uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> so is that what happened? Is it that there are... Yeah, so so I'd need to design my the computer chip, the central processing unit needs to be designed knowing that electrons have this strange behavior so that when I absolutely need an electron to be in place A, I leave the switch open long enough, have a sensitive enough detector. Or there's sort of, there's, there's, it's almost like there's like police in there, or you know, what do you call them in a, in a race? Judges, there are judges inside the circuits saying, okay, we just had a weird, we had one of those outside, you know, rare occurrences. Give me another electron, let's go. Something like that, yeah. So, so yeah. part of the, the weird thing that's going on here is that uh, this quantum uncertainty came out of this strange behavior of electrons, but then we scale it up to say, well, if it happens with electrons, it must happen with everything. So because we say that both the bat and the ball are made of electrons and electrons do this, so the bat and the ball must do it as well. Now, actually, I think a big elephant in the universe here in the room is that infinity and the possible infinite size of the universe is part of this that we, we're not quite addressing. It can be. So there's, there's a separate kind of many worlds argument that goes, if the universe is infinite, there's some place, there's some other place in the universe where the arrangement of atoms is almost exactly the same as it is right here, except Spock has a beard. So that's a, uh, so that's a purely statistical argument. It's a, if you put enough monkeys at a typewriter, you'll eventually get Hamlet. And the numbers for that become staggering really fast. Like you, you need a really big universe. Fortunately, the universe is really big. So, but the quantum mechanical one is, is at least in principle applies to any individual event. So every, every day when Spock decides whether or not to shave, there's a universe where he does and there's a universe where he doesn't. Right. And actually, I, I can see how this is, this is a little different in that the infinite universe idea where it says anything could be happening, and I refer you back to one of our earlier episodes, I believe the title was, Now We Know How Many Brains It Takes to Fill the Albert Hall. That's the one, yep. We, we, we address this, that issue. That's sort of saying all these weird things are happening in our one universe because our one universe is infinite. So that, this is saying, this is really weird that the, or even you're playing Candy Crush and you put your thumb down. I actually have no idea how you play Candy Crush. <laughs> so I'm imagining you crush candy. I don't play it myself, so I can't really say. So you put your, put your, put your phone down on a, you put your thumb down on an animated candy on the screen of your iPhone and you move it to the left. You are spawning an entire universe. Yep. That is exactly right. Every time, every time you you have a decision to make, you are spawning a new universe. And all the people around you who are all, of course, looking at their phones as well, but yep. using different apps. That's right. And yet they're all every person they are also spawning universes just 
and and those universes could include us well so this is so the this sounds like a mess this sounds like a mess oh it's totally a mess <laughs> so the universes are different with respect to that particular choice so whether you press pressed the blue candy or the red candy so there's a universe where you press the blue and there's a universe where you press the red presumably that's not a really big difference but then you're standing on the subway platform and there's a universe where you just stand there and wait but there's also a universe where you push the accordion player onto the tracks yes right where you push the accordion player onto yeah because that's a choice you make right you hear the accordion player playing you hate accordions but in one universe you control yourself and in one universe you don't you know what you just but by the way you just zeroed in on something where Accordions are terrible. Well, I can. Yeah, well, that uh, I can imagine electrons starting to have an effect because it does seem logical to me. This is still speculative, right? That the brain is a quantum mechanical computer. But one thing we know for sure is the brain is made of atoms. Yep. So there's a place where electrons moving around is making major decisions, mm-hmm. and it is possible that a certain number of weird electrons doing weird things and making the outside decision does happen in somebody and they go and they do this. Yep. Yep. So that's the argument. So so that's the argument for why it's okay or why it's reasonable to scale up these quantum phenomena because you can make those sorts of arguments. So, so it doesn't just have to be a small thing like what button you push on a, um, uh, video game, but it could actually be a life or death kind of thing. And but it, but this spawning of you, this huge fountain of universes constantly being formed around you, mm-hmm. like it would be a blinding amount of. In other words, it's so-called decisions are really. In other words, yes, okay. The guys we talked about when the guy swung the baseball bat at the pitch. Mm-hmm. At the ball, there's like a million different possibilities or more. I don't know. Is there infinite? Yep. A, a, a vast number, right? I mean, these are this is the kind of thing where you get where you need scientific notation. So there's probably, you know, 10 to the 50th different possibilities of where the ball goes. So there's that many universes to get spawned with every pitch. Okay, so how I can see why Einstein got really upset by this. Well, actually, so there's a sense in which this is trying to protect Einstein's ideas because each of those universes is deterministic. There's nothing random anymore. Well, did Einstein like this idea? Einstein, I think, was dead by the time uh, this, uh, <laughs> uh, this was published, so I'm actually not sure if he ever encounters it. And probably glad to be. A question to ask is like, does this actually make you feel any better about quantum weirdness? No. 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 And there's a and there's a good reason for that, which is it's empirically indistinguishable. That is, from if you're the person in the lab doing tests, you can't distinguish between a many worlds system and one universe that happens to be random. Ah, you know what? You, there's a super concise thing there, by the way. Just it's, it's a clarifying mm-hmm. statement that we're talking about randomness. Yeah. What he's saying is, no, there is no random. You're saying Einstein actually would was said Einstein believed that there's no true randomness. Right. So this is sort of like almost. I, I guess I can now see from the quantum mechanics, quantum physicist point of view that. They said, Einstein, you're crazy. Yes. <laughs> this is the outcome you're talking about. And this is, so this is a very strange thing. And the many worlds interpretation does not get a lot of traction for this reason, because it's not really clear what problem it solves. And it, it creates lots of new problems like these vast numbers of alternate universes. You know, can, can we interact with them? Can we see them? How would we know if they're actually there? It's all extremely unclear. 
So each one of those immediately branches into another universe. Into another, yeah. So so if 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 this if the one swing of the baseball bat generates 10 to the 50th universes, a moment, then the catch of the ball also generates 10 to the 50th universes. And <laughs> the throw of the ball back to the catcher generates another 10 to the 50th universes. And whether, whether a particular person continues the wave in the fans, if yes, there's one well, guy that <laughs> doesn't stand up, mm -hmm. you know, then the wave is, is ruined. That's right. So you might say, Whatever benefit many worlds interpretation has, it's surely outweighed by the cost of having to having to invent these vast numbers of universes. So it's not so it's definitely a fringe thing for a long time, but it turns out to be useful for solving a problem in cosmology. Oh. There's something called the fine-tuning problem which is related to what's called the anthropic principle. Uh, so this is sort of a game you can do if you're a cosmologist and you're bored, which is you take some fundamental principle. Well, actually, I guess kind of what we do here. You take some fundamental element of the universe and you change it. The strength of gravity, for instance, is determined by a particular number. And if you change that number by just a couple of percent, it turns out you can't get stable orbits of planet. Or if I change something called the fine structure constant, which helps, which explains why atoms have the structure they do. If I change it a couple of percent, I get no more atoms. So it turns out there's a handful of numbers like this in the universe that if they're changed ever so slightly, we don't exist. And we're saying if you go back to the infinite universe idea, mm -hmm. this, we believe that the strength of gravity is something that's consistent throughout the un in infinite universe. That's right. So this would mess universe. up the entire... That's right. right. But a different universe could have a different value of gravity. So what many worlds then does is says... So I should say there, there's an important step in, in this fine-tuning problem, which is that we then decide we're surprised by the fact that we're in a universe where everything is tuned just right for our existence. Because you can imagine a universe where the gravitational constant was slightly different. So a question we can then ask is, why do we live in a universe that seems to be perfect for us? And one of those answers is, God made it that way. But of course, you wouldn't be able to I mean, the answer that always came to me was like, well, in the one where we don't exist, we're not there to say, wow, isn't this amazing that it <laughs> yep, that's we right. exist? So that's another, that's another possible <laughs> explanation is just simply that we wouldn't be here to ask the question if we weren't. And then what many worlds interpretation does is say there is a universe where the gravitational constant is different and nothing lives there. Fine. No big deal. So there's a universe where every possible value of physics is there, but the va vast majority of those universes, there's nothing interesting happening. And we just happen to live, because as you say, we could only live in one where it's tuned just right. But then we don't get to be surprised by it because there's tons of universes where it didn't happen. Ah, I see. Yeah. Ah, so it's, it, it is helpful. If I'm playing roulette and I get black 37 and I say, that's amazing that I got black 37. And you say, well, you should only be surprised by that if ahead of time you knew you'd only get one spin and you decided you were going to hit black 37. But if you're just sitting there all day running the roulette wheel, and one of them happens to come up black 37, you shouldn't be particularly surprised by that. There's no significance to that. So our universe then is just one of those. But then that wheel spinning, now that really makes me literally dizzy. That mm -hmm. roulette wheel spinning, which is something I love to watch in the casino and I do not play, but that spinning wheel and every click of the little, whatever you call that. Whatever it is, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that thing like on Wheel of Fortune that goes click, 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 click is spawning another universe click, 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 click. every time holy yep. moly 
So even if you win at roulette, there's some version of you in a different universe that lost. Actually, there are billions. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know how many spaces are there on a roulette wheel. I don't know. 60, 100, something like that. Right? Dozens, right? But there, there, there are universes where you didn't even go into that casino. Yep, that's right, where you just stayed home. There are universes where you didn't even have enough money to go to the casino. Or a universe where blackjack or where roulette was never invented. That's a universe where it's not worth living in. Exactly. Well, we're so glad we're not in. <laughs> right. I could, I could be in the one without roulette, but the craps table is actually something I find very fascinating to watch. The parallel universes you get with, with this quantum mechanical idea is you can have tiny divergences. I got a different number at the roulette wheel. Or vast divergences. The homo erectus who would eventually give rise to the branch of humanity that results in me gets stepped on by a mammoth three million years ago. And not only am I never born, but the entire state of New Jersey does not exist. So it's, a, it's sort of a win-lose. Win-win. It's a mixed right? win. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> With apologies to New Jersey. I, I, I think that the Homo erectus that I am descended from did get stepped on by a mammoth, but wasn't killed, but was just sort of like made much shorter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hence my height. Now to button it up with the worst button possible, a button that barely holds your shirt together. Really what this comes down to is what is a universe? What is the universe? Because mm-hmm. it yeah. is also folly to think that, you know, we can talk all about how, well, we, it's what the funny thing about this is we go, oh, well, all these multiple universes, that's crazy. But our one universe, yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have absolutely no idea what the universe is. And, and I, I, I don't understand it at all. But like there are some discussions that it could be a mathematical structure. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, the word universe, well, one thing, ah, uh, as the, the name suggests, the, the sort of history of, Humanity has been a slow realization that whatever we thought that one thing was, there's more of it. So when we thought it was just the Earth, fine. Then we thought there's other planets. All right. I said, well, at least it's, it's our solar system. Well, there's other solar systems. It's definitely our galaxy. Well, there's other galaxies. Depending on what year the word universe is being used, it's referring to completely different sorts of things. So if you believe in multiple the many worlds interpretation today, the word universe should probably refer to all of those different spaces. But that's a hard thing to grapple with, right? What does that mean? But actually, if you do that, it all kind of gets simpler again. I mean, I was thinking that all along, that a lot of this has to do with the language is like really weird. Like, just to say mm-hmm. universes are being spawned. When we think of universes being spawned, we think of Big Bangs or something. It's like a right, massive, not, a major event. This could be saying, no, it's, it's just like different areas of the universe open, or it's bubbles. You know, another way it's often talked about. It yeah, we bubbles. usually say something like split off, Ooh. which is not particularly helpful, but at least avoids the Big Bang problem. But actually, again, we see it's the, the when we're trying to tackle these ideas that we don't even have the right words for them. Mm-hmm. And actually, boy, you talk about confusing words. I mean, if you if you try to study quantum mechanics, you know, they had to invent all kinds of words, and so it's like really weird. As well, it is. yeah, and they do their typically do, try to do their best to avoid using words because the mathematics you can you can create a mathematical system in which all of this makes perfect sense. As long as you don't try to understand what the symbols mean. Why should the universe make sense to us? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. What's uh, Who are uh, you to think you can figure? Yeah. I just, I'm actually in the midst of writing a book review of Martin Rees' new book on the future. That's R-E-E-S. He's the Astronomer Royal in Britain. And his final chapter is, is pointing out that our brains evolved to solve survival problems on the African savanna. 
and expecting that the fundamental laws of the universe should be decodable by those same solutions is really kind of silly. And we need to accept that it may be that our, our brains cannot do that. They, they, they did not evolve for that purpose. And his, his suggestion then is we should invent AIs that have different ways of thinking. Ooh. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and it also just, it helps actually here, I'll end here by saying it, another thing that's always fascinating to do is try to put yourself back in the mind of people who lived at a time before they knew for something, for instance, yeah. that, that the earth goes around the sun and that, you know, whatever. And when they tried to, so Copernicus figured that out or whatever, and then people tried to, that they must have really struggled with how, what do we call this? Mm-hmm. Like an orbit, for instance, you would have no reason to use the word orbit. Yeah, or, or planet, right? I mean, the, the very word planet is, is a weird thing. And essentially, that's my job, figuring those, those puzzles out. Ah, hallelujah. Somebody will save us. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This one is really like, they're all mind blowing, but this one's particularly mind blowing because I'm now imagining that, you know, every single decision that happens in your mind is spawning a whole nother universe. It's like, wow, you're that, yeah. It's messy. This is the mess. Yeah. This is, there, I don't, know of many scientific ideas that are this messy right <laughs> or i guess usually we don't hear well, about well i mean there's uh, an important thing happens is that once once an idea becomes generally accepted then it gets cleaned up and you get trained in thinking about it right from the start so then it seems less messy so everything becomes everything feels messy until you decide it's not yeah, or I guess there's a bit of abstraction that goes on, or you figure out that all these weird things, like the standard model of physics, where they discovered all these, they kept discovering all these new particles, and it just looked like what is going on here, and then they sort of were able to figure out. That's right, and then they figure out the pattern, and the then pattern. it seems elegant. Yeah, yeah the pa- exactly, exactly <laughs> the pattern. So, Jeff from Nashville, whoa. So, in fact, when you said verse, you talked about universe, it made me think of songs. So that could oh, bring yes. us back to Nashville, the verse. That's right. <laughs> there are no universes in the songs that come out of Nashville or, or many, many other places because they're all uh, multiverses. Every song is a multiverse, unless all it is is the same thing repeated over and over again. Interesting. Like uh, row, row your boat kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So multiverses are all around us and they can be fun. There's a universe where I'm on a roller coaster right now. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And there's another universe where you're being thrown off that roller coaster. That's exactly right, by the guy with the accordion. (laughs) And and there are many, many universes where I am not tall enough for this ride. (laughs) That was the one I lived in for a long time. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff from Nashville. And, And... in gratitude for this totally mind-blowing suggestion for a what-the-if exploration, you are going to receive. I'll be in touch. We'll find out where to send, where, which, which verse I should send a finger puppet to. And you will receive from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild, the makers of smart, funny toys for smart, funny people like us finger puppet of a great scientist or science fiction character. I don't know which one it'll be. We don't, no one knows. There's a multiverse of possibilities. That's right. <laughs> which finger puppet will go into the mail to whichever verse you are in in Nashville. Thank you for listening also, everybody. Send us your thoughts. I'm sure you had a lot of thoughts. And in many, many of these universes, you go to feedback at whattheif.com to send us an email or you can just go to our website whattheif.com and click contact and February right there and hit send you can also find us on Twitter 
where our community continues to grow and grow and grow. And maybe now, quite often, I'm pleased to say, we get a number of tweets of people who have just discovered it and said, this is a really fascinating feed. Fantastic. Actually, somebody, I'll do a mail, maybe next week I'll do a mailbag episode. Here are some of the comments that people have been sending in. Lots of science news, science oddities. We could talk about ideas that come from our shows and all of that. Matt, as we record this, the Christmas and New Year's holidays are coming up. So I hope you have a pleasant one. And you. And that, that I hope you get a good universe for Christmas. Well, that'd be nice. Yeah. See, some people celebrate Christmas, some people don't. But in many universes, you're still going to get gifts throughout the year. And yep. I hope that every time, so, and, and so every time you open a gift box, boom, out come like. <laughs> How many universes? And, you know, occasionally you have to return it to the store, but hopefully you, you, don't, you don't want to have to return your universe. I'm not even sure where I would take it. Yeah, returning a whole universe would be problematic. That would be harder than going back to Ikea. Subscribe to our show so you can avoid uncertainty. If you subscribe to our show and use those electrons to do whatever the hell they do at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, you can actually be fairly certain with great certainty that each new episode is just going to show up on your phone ready to go. Subscribe. Become a part of Become an Iffer. I-F-F-E-R. You can be an Iffer. Jeff, who made a suggestion, and all of you who have made suggestions in the past, and all the wonderful of you who are sending in suggestions now are super Iffers. And if you get chosen, you're a master Iffer. So the hierarchy is starting to come clear. I'm not sure we'll have to start coming up with stripes. Things to put on (laughs) your shoulder next week I have no idea I mean the amount of universes that are going to be spawned between now and next week it's going to be a lot it's going to be a lot it just fried my brain just imagining but whichever one it is it's only going to be one that we find ourselves in at, at least at the moment of starting the show when we come up with that idea that singular universe spawning thing that makes us say, what? what? The... The... Yeah.